The following message was recorded at New Beginnings Church in Slidell, Louisiana. Please feel free to duplicate and share this message as you feel led. And you are invited to visit us at New Beginnings Church at 330 Robert Boulevard, Slidell, Louisiana, 70458. Our Sunday services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, call us at 985-781-4663. And may God richly bless you as you listen to this message. We're going off with the first question. Would you explain the creation to us? <laughs> he said no. it and it was. Okay. He said it and it works. All right. He said it and it was. All right. So uh, just, uh, do you have a question? Uh, we'll bring you a mic and get you started. You know, that is a good question, though, because... Um, I was kidding. No, don't no, no. <laughs> But I was just thinking that, that made me think that, you know, a lot of people, they think that God is, uh, that, that, the, that the, the Christian is a, not a new creation. They think the Christian is, a, is a, a new evolution. Like, in other words, they think that we're evolving, that, that our heart is evolving. God is not into evolution. God speaks it, and it is. Amen. See, we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we simply walk in them because that's who we are on the inside. We do have a new heart. We're not evolving into a new heart. So it's, it's that thinking that we're evolving into holier, holier people or more righteous or a better heart. And God doesn't deal like that. God creates. Explain the eighth day of creation. But, well, the eighth day is, that's, that's kind of cool. Eight is the number of new beginnings because there are seven days in the week. And so the eighth day is like the beginning of a new week. So eight is the day of beginnings. And um, so that was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. So on the eighth day was the new creation. So the whole new world began on the eighth day. So that's kind of cool. And it's also cool that there are seven colors in the rainbow. And the eighth color repeats itself. So it's a full, a full color. There are seven notes on the piano. So an octave is eight notes. So you have the, it repeats itself. So everything you see with color and everything you hear with sound has the mark of God in it, the signature of God out of creation. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, and the circumcision, they were circumcised on the eighth day. God says circumcised on the eighth day because that's the beginning. That's the picture. Circumcision is a picture of the new creation. It's awesome. It's all, it's all ties together. It's all beautiful. God's, the creation itself speaks of God. It's hidden in all of creation. Uh, Revelation 12, read Revelation 12 one day. It's awesome where... John says that the, um, the beast, the dragon, opened his mouth and tried to, well, first it says that the, the two wings of the great eagle, um, oh, let's just read it. It's too good not to read. You know what? I don't have my reading glasses. You, do you mind? Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Whoa. No, thanks, but Oh, yeah, cool, yeah. I know. Cool. Okay, uh, Revelation 12. This is all, uh, this is a vision, and it's, it's filled with meaning here. In Revelation 12, John's writing this. John saw this vision, and he wrote it down. Revelation 12, verse 1. And a a great sign appeared in heaven. A great sign appeared in heaven. Great sign. This is huge. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and and on her head a crown of 12 stars. 
And she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to, and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, our, of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to the, de to the death. For this reason, oh, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he, he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, never forget this, saints, the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth. He saw he was thrown down. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time, times half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth, and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Chapter 12. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Basically, what that is, it's, it's awesome. It's like the woman is, a, is, the, is not Israel, as some people teach. The woman is the church, which is composed of, of Jews and Gentiles. The woman is the bride. It's the bride of Christ. She's clothed with the sun, which means she has the divine nature of God. She stands on the moon because the moon is called the faithful witness. The moon is the one who reflects the light from the sun, the faithful witness. So she stands on the moon as a, she's reflecting the light of Christ to the world, the, the church. The stars speak of her authority. And so what happened, God prepared a place for the woman, which is Christ, the church. We live in, we, we are now in this realm that's, that we talked about, the kingdom, in Christ is our, our safe place. The dragon tries to move us out of our rest. The flood coming out of his mouth is a reference to words, lies. Words come out of the dragon's mouth to move the woman from, your, from her rest, move you from rest, make you think you're not really loved by God, make you think you're not really holy, make you think you're not really righteous, make you think that you're, you're not good enough, make you think all the lies come out to try to move you from your rest because in that place of rest, she's nourished and protected there in Christ. That's where you are, okay? The scripture says the earth opened up her mouth. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the dragon's flood of words, 
What that means, saints, is that words came out of the earth to counter the lie. The revelation that is hidden in creation, this is the point I was trying to make, the, 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 uh, the revelation that's hidden in creation. The scripture says, we know the invisible things of God. The invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things that have been made. The scripture says, speak to the earth and it shall teach thee. The scripture says, truth shall spring forth from the earth. See, creation itself has hidden in it, all the revelation of Christ is hidden in creation itself. So what we're going to see in the latter days, I think, is a greater, not only, not only a greater revelation in scripture, not only a, an opening of the scriptures like never before of understanding the finished work of Christ, we're also going to see, saints, an incredible revelation come from creation itself. Maybe the only Bible someone reads is creation. An incredible revelation come from creation itself will open up and, and men will see Christ in all things. Like awesome, like the seed itself is a picture of Christ. In the seed, everything, that's, everything you need in the seed, is, it's, it's in the seed. In that seed, that acorn, you've got the root structure, you've got the bark, you've got the limbs, you've got the leaves, you've got the green color, you've got the flower. If it's an orange tree, you've got the flower, you've got the oranges, you've got the peel for the orange, you've got the, the, the sugar. Everything is in that seed. Everything. And, but it does not no good unless it's planted. So when the seed is planted, then that which is in that seed can just unravel and come out. One man plants, another man waters, but God gives the increase, see? It's, it's a mystery of Christ. When you, when you tell Christ, speak of Christ to somebody, it's that seed. The seed goes into them, the revelation, this awesome word. That's why I love this thing. I was talking to Morris during the break how I love this concept that the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, the word of this other realm, the word of this parallel universe, the word of this other reality is powerful. If you take, if you take it into your bosom, if you take it into your heart, if you believe it, it has its own inherent power to work within you. It be, it's the three, leavens, the three measures of leaven that, that leavens the whole, you know what I'm saying? It's awesome. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an awesome, if you take it in, it begins to multiply within and, re, and taint, it renews the mind to, st- to start opening the eyes to see these heavenly realities. So, um, anyway, so I, I think we're going to see all kind of awesome things in creation itself, you know, that, that's going to come forth and people will see from, from the creation itself, wow, it is true, God, God's handiwork, this is a picture of Christ, this is a picture of Christ, you know. I mean, have you ever thought why the sun and the moon are the exact same size as viewed from the earth? You see that? See, God made the sun, which we know is huge, and we know we're a long way away from the sun. We have to be or we'd burn up. And we have to be exactly the right measure, the distance of, from sun, the sun, so we're not too cold and not too hot. Okay? So God has exactly the right temperature for the sun. This, this incredible thermonuclear explosion that's happening every second on the sun, Right? He has that huge ball of fire just far enough from the earth so that we are not too cold, not too hot. And from the surface of the earth, it appears to look like this, say, okay? The moon, very small, smaller than the earth, is just perfectly the right distance from the earth so we don't have tidal waves every 30 days, high tide, low tide. It's just the perfect distance so that just a little high tide, a little low tide. And this moon... From the surface of the earth, we know is much tinier than the sun, is, looks like this. Same size. From the surface of the earth, the same exact size. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Scientists say it's an amazing coincidence. We don't know how or why that is. <laughs> and it fits perfectly over. See, I, saints, I believe what that's saying. 
I, I, believe, I believe God's been announcing in the heavens from the beginning of time that one day, see, the sun speaks of God because the earth revolves around the sun. So the, the earth is subservient to the sun. So the sun speaks, speaks of God. The moon speaks of man because the, I mean, the, the moon revolves around the earth. So the moon speaks of man. The sun speaks of God. I believe what God has been saying in the heavens from the beginning of time is that one day God would become a man and die and die and when he was on the cross darkness the true eclipse happened see I'm telling you saints it's going to come out of the earth revelation will come out of the earth that cannot be denied cannot be denied and uh, just a scientist saying that's a weird coincidence is not going to matter people are going to say no it's not a coincidence that's God isn't that awesome awesome Cool. Someone asked a question during the break that was really cool. They asked, um, how, do you live, how do you live this other reality in day-to-day life? How do, you, how do you take this awesome message of the invisible kingdom, this, what Jesus did, this, this reality, and, and get up Monday morning with bills to pay and maybe kids who are addicted to drugs or whatever, uh, physical ailments, whatever, how do, you live it? how do you live this out in day-to-day life? And I would say, this is what I would say. First of all, it must be, it must start from within. There must be this, a, a steady feeding or diet on heavenly things, heavenly realities. We've got to feed on these things. The new creation is nourished by these truths that we were talking about. So we've got. To, if you don't feed, then you you're weak. Many of our many people have weak faith because they have a steady diet of law in their thinking. In other words, they think like I've got to do this to please God. I've got to do that to please God. Um, they think about commandments to keep. They think about um, they th- they don't see themselves as righteous. So they are constantly with the mentality, um, their faith doesn't, doesn't get exercised, okay? You, you feed people a steady diet of law, and the law is not of faith. The scripture says the law is not of faith. Has, the law has nothing to do with faith, because you're, you're not believing anything, that's why. The law doesn't tell you to believe anything. The law says don't do this or do this. See, the law is not of faith. So if you don't have a steady diet of, of, of precious promises, if you don't... He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through precious promises. See, if you don't have these awesome promises that are in Christ, if you're not feeding on those, those realities, your faith is not exercised. And so you, it, it remains dormant almost. But if you feed on promises, you feed on the, the reality, the hidden reality of Christ, your faith gets stronger, stronger, and stronger. So from, from within, you can move in a... In a in a greater confidence in what, what is not seen. As Paul says, look not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. You begin to see more of the unseen reality of who you are and who God is. That in itself is amazingly powerful to bring you confidence in day-to-day living, to bring you confidence in prayer, knowing that God hears you. Um, the other day I was thinking about how Oh, it was so cool how God showed me. You know, we pray in, in Jesus' name, you know. And, I, and it's like God just really spoke something to me about 
a, a different way of looking at that, and it was so cool. It was like, it's like God said, when you pray in Jesus' name, it's like, it's like Jesus saying, here's my credit card. It's, my name's on the credit card. Use, use my, my credit card. Isn't that awesome? Yes. And it was, it was so, it, was, it came like a flash. I was getting something out of the car, and it came like a flash. It was like the Lord said, when you pray in my name, it's, it's like, it's like it's, you're asking it for me. It's like it's on my card. It's on my card. And there's no limits. And, there, and, and yeah, there's no limits. There's no li- and, and also, it has nothing to do with me. If you have somebody else's credit card and their name is on it and you go buy something, it, your credit's not the issue. You are not the issue. It's they honor the card. They honor the name on the card. Isn't that awesome? So when you pray, think about that. When you pray in his name, you're praying for, in his authority. You're praying in his, on his credit card. You're, you're saying, Lord, do this in, the, in your son's name. Yeah, on his account. Right, on his account. That's how it came across, like his card, his account, on his behalf. It's re- I still can't articulate what I heard in the for spirit. But it's like, what's that? For his sake. For his sake, yeah, for his sake. All those things. But it was like a real neat little nuance that the spirit gave me about this when you pray in the Lord's name. It's not a formula. It's not like, you know, it's, it's actually you're praying it on his account. Like, it's like his credit card. And so, anyway, so, so what happens is, so, and you know what happens, what happened to you lately is I've been praying for things and things have been happening like that. It's cool. Yes, it's yes. cool. I mean, it's like a whole new way of praying almost. It's like, it, it takes you out of the picture because it's not, you don't have to think, okay, have I, have I been obedient enough to ask for this? Have I been good enough to, you know, we think like that still sometimes. That's, a, that's wrong thinking, but we still think, have I, you know, but it takes it totally out of the picture because it's not, it's not about me. It's about his card. It's his, his, it's his name on the credit card. It's not, it's not me. It's awesome. Okay. It's kind of like Peter, when Peter was healing the sick, you know, in the book of Acts. And they started to worship Peter, worship man. You know, they started to worship man. We, we were talking about that. And um, Peter, says, Peter says, oh, no, 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 don't worship. Don't fall down and worship us. We're, we're just men like you. He goes, do you think, Peter says in Acts, he says, do you think by some holiness of us, our own holiness, that this man stands healed in your presence? He goes, no, by faith in the name of Jesus. Faith in the name. Faith in the name. It's the credit card. It's his credit card. It's not us. Isn't that awesome? It's so cool. Okay, so, so I would say be um, focused on invisible things. Feed on heavenly realities. It must begin in here. And let the reality get stronger and stronger. Um, faith will grow. Faith will grow. And then, secondly, it's very important that you hang out, hang out with people of like faith. It's very important to have fellowship with other believers that speak the same truth. Amen. Because if you have other believers that are not speaking the same truth, um, it yeah, it, it, will tear you, it will tear you down. So you need to have people of like faith so you can be strong enough to speak truth to others and, the, and their misunderstandings will not cause you to be pulled down or away from what, what you know to be true. So that's very important. We also need to, um, the, the, almost a lost art in the church today, is what Paul called beholding Christ in your inner man. Beholding Christ in your inner man. That's almost non-existent in the church today because we're taught that we have sin in our inner man. So you don't, there's, no, there's not even the concept of being in union with Christ and him being in me. So I'm like, how, how do I behold Christ in my inner man when the preacher's telling me to look for, my, look for sin right. all the time? Right. You can't do it. 
So it's another lie of the enemy that keeps you from doing something that was very powerful in the early church. They knew how to get still, get quiet, and behold Christ in their inner man. I mean, it's powerful to be still, to be quiet, and to walk in the woods or something and just be still and behold Christ in your inner man, remembering him, remembering your union with him, remembering how close he is, remembering he's like inside here, right here. He's not all far away. He's right here. It's awesome. So those are the things that happen. These are, see, these are seemingly intangible things. These are powerful things. These are the powerful things that make a difference. They're not, there's not a formula how to, how to live this out. There's not, a, there's not a formula. There's not a ten steps to this and five steps to this. Thank goodness. It's not, yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> Twelve steps to holiness and, you know, tw- ten steps to a better prayer life. You know, forget it. These are, these are spiritual things. His words are spirit in their life. And so... So with, with, with um, eating and drinking of Christ, I'll tell you this also, um, one of the main things we need to eat and drink of a lot, which this is another thing that, that is rarely eaten in the body of Christ. This meal is rarely eaten, if ever. Jesus said, you must continually eat my flesh and drink my blood. Continually eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's the thing that caused many people to say, what, what is he saying? We, how can we eat his flesh? And many walked with him no more, and they left. And he says, and then they, and his own disciples asked him and said, what do you mean, eat your flesh and drink your blood? I mean, and then Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. They're, I'm not literally saying eat my body and drink my blood. They're spirit and life. And so what he was saying, saints, is so awesome. What he was saying is that inwardly, one of the greatest meals we must eat and is rarely eaten, is a remembrance of his death. That's, his flesh and blood is a reference to his death, his sacrifice. We must continually, daily remember that he is not counting my sins against me. Every day. It's an awesome meal. It's a meal that's eaten in, in thankfulness, thanksgiving, and gratefulness, and peace. Every day, remember, God, thank you that you're not counting my sins against me. That meal is rarely ever eaten in the church because the church is taught that he is counting your sins against you and you need to confess your sins up to date and get them current and then get cleansed again and again and again. And it's bogus. It's a, it's a wrong reading of 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 is not teaching that. I'm telling you, this meal, this, this meal alone will change your life if every day you would think and thank him that you're not counting my sins against me. That's the covenant. In this new covenant, I'll remember their sins no more. I'll be merciful to all their iniquities. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. I'm telling you, it's powerful. That meal needs to be eaten every day. Now, when we do it visibly as a corporate body, and we have the bread and we have the wine. It's the same thing, but it's just a way to do it visibly and corporately. But individually and invisibly and every day, we should eat that meal. Every day. And just, and just thank him. You know, just thank him. Lord, thank you so much that you're not counting my sins against me anymore. <laughs> and then just go right on to the, the good stuff. Well, that's good, but I'm saying go right on to the, go, go to, go to the positive stuff. And I thank you that I'm as righteous as you are. I thank you that I'm your son. Thank you that you're my daddy, you're my papa, that I can call you Abba, 
the spirit cries, Abba, in me. You know, it just, this, is so, this is so awesome. So let me just to summarize. We need, to, we need to feed on Christ. We need to eat spiritual meals. We need to feed on heavenly realities. These are meals that are rarely eaten. You haven't, you have, many of us have not seen what these meals will do in our lives. We've never eaten them. Most church members have never eaten them. These are, these are awesome meals that are waiting for us that are on the menu of God that has never been ordered. The kitchen is ready, made it, prepared. They haven't ordered this or this or this, you know? I can just see God saying, I wish they'd ordered this. This is my favorite. <laughs> you know? So we've got to eat spiritually, and then we need to hang out with people who have, of like faith. Secondly, and thirdly, we need to um, recapture the lost art of beholding Christ in our inner man. And do what Jesus did. He would walk and get away from the crowds for a while and just be, be with the Father. He was doing what we can do. He was beholding the Father in his inner man. He was beholding, he was, he was, he was vividly aware that he was in the Father's presence, and that the Father was inside of him, and he was inside the Father. He was vividly aware of his union. Once again, we can't do that in the church as a whole today. Because we're not told we're, we're in union with him. Not even close. We're told that we're a, just a sinner saved by grace. And he's way off somewhere and we're way down here. We're not told we're holy. We're not told we're blameless. We're not told these things. So we can't eat that meal. See? We can't behold Christ in an inner man because it's foreign to us. You talk to, to a Christian and you say, isn't it awesome to just behold Christ in our inner man? They'll go, what? <laughs> and that's a shame. It's a shame. You should, we should have believers saying, yeah, it's, it's just this awesome. The reality of, of being in union with him is just amazing, isn't it? That's what it should be. Yeah, it's, a like conversation. Just, yeah. it's like when you say, you know, Christ lives in me. And they go, God, that's pretty arrogant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Dave just said, um, if you didn't get it on the mic, Dave just said, you know, he'll go share with someone and say, isn't it awesome Christ lives in me? And then the response sometimes is, well, that's pretty arrogant, which is so stupid. They don't really see, they don't understand what, what like the Pharisees in the first century called the Christians the kingdom of arrogance, the Pharisees, because they dared to say they can be holy enough. You see, when a person really understands the holiness of God, then you do not want to boast in yourself or the law because you see you're not even close to measuring up. Not even close. So it's, it's only the people that understand grace that really get holiness. People that don't really get grace don't really know holiness. But when you, when you see how holy God really is, man, you're so thankful for grace. It's awesome. That's what the scripture says. The pride go away, but the humble, he reveals himself to babes, hides himself from those who think themselves wise and prudent, but reveals himself to babes. He's chosen the weak to confound the strong, the foolish to confound the wise. It's God's way. As Jesus said to the fathers, for so it seemed good in thy sight, Father, to do it this way. So cool. So anyway, that's, that's what I would say about how to live. I know that's not a formula, but from there, from there, it's a relationship with the Lord. And from there, he just teaches us how to live and what to do. And mainly, he teaches us how to love. He teaches us how to love, because how to love our spouse, how to love our children, how to love our friends, how to love other believers. He teaches us how to love. 
That's, that's what it's all about. God is love. Paul says, if there, if there be any law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. If there be any commandment, this one word fulfills all law. Love. One thing. Amen. Which is so cool, because God who is love is the one that wrote the law. So that everything that he wrote was about him, was about love. And for those people that think you need to have the law to be more Christ-like, think about it, saints. The law is a very inferior, very inferior picture of, of who God is. I mean, the law says, just don't kill anybody. But the love of Christ in us says, lay down your life for somebody. The law says, just don't steal anything. The love of Christ in you says, I'm going to get a job so I have money to give to my neighbor. See, the law is such an inferior it's just bare, bare, basic, minimum, bare stuff. Just so man would see, you can't even do this. <laughs> That's it. You know, it's just the bare basics that, you know, so man can see, you can't even do this. The law was not given to, to, to make people stop sinning. The law was given, Paul said, to increase sin so that transgression would become exceedingly sinful, that men might see, we can't do this, that every mouth might be shut. You know, God's, God's tired of hearing men tell him how good he is. No, I want every mouth shut, please. You know, just shut up about your righteousness. You can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. Will you please just shut up, you know? And then the revelation comes. And God gives us his own righteousness as a gift. How can he be just in the justifier of the, of the ungodly? Behold the mystery. Behold, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Behold, God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world into himself, not counting our sins against us anymore. For he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Awesome. And then the mouths can open with praise and thanksgiving and joyful adoration. Awesome. So, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. A question here, then a question here. I would just like to uh, testify sure. to what you said a minute ago about the daily meal. I shared this with my friend the other night. Yeah. For a number of years, when I awaken in the morning, I don't throw the cover off. I don't get out of bed. I just start to pray and say this. Thank you, Lord, for the new day and the gift of life. Thank you for the night that you have protected me and kept me safe. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and granting your salvation for me. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And thank you for this new day that you would fill me, keep me, lead me in the will of the Father for this day today. Awesome. That's my morning prayer before I ever think about throwing the cover off or getting out of bed. That's every day of my life. That's awesome. That's that's the meal. So I just felt that to confirm what you were saying, this is what everyone can do every single morning. Yes. And it's in the attitude of gratitude that the Father is pleased and he looks down upon us with his favor. Yes, yes, yes. And gives us his blessing. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I would, just, I would just add to that, too. Thanks for confirming that, too, because this is, this is how the early church did. They would, they would speak, and someone would confirm out of the mouth of two or three witnesses to confirm. I love that. Um, but also, what I do in the morning, too, is the first thing I think of, and I love what, how everything you said was thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. And also, one of the first things I think of is 
he has taught me to, the first thoughts to be to receive his love for me. To not, not think about me loving him. But, but the first thought, let me just love on you. I've been, I've been up all night waiting for you to get up. The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's, and the first thing, let that first thought come to you that he just wants to love you. He wants to love on you in the morning. And then from that you start thanking him. And your, your love for him flows naturally. But try that and see what happens. Just every morning just don't, try to, don't think about doing anything for God. Just receive like the, like the flowers receive the sunshine. Just receive that love. Knowing that he's, he's been up all night. It's so cool. Can I say one thing? Yes. heard just recently that Peter boasted of his love for Jesus, but John boasted of Jesus's love for him. Yes. Yeah. Joseph Prince, I think, said that, yes. or somebody said that. Yes. That's, I love that because That's awesome. that is awesome. Um, I want to be John. Yes. And, and, I, and I used to, yeah. And I used to think, I used to think like, like Dave's uh, person he was sharing with, I used to think that's kind of arrogant of John to say I'm I'm the beloved disciple. You know, when I was a young Christian, I used to think that's kind of he calls himself the beloved disciple. There's Peter, there's there's James, but but there's I'm the beloved disciple, like I'm the favorite one. You know, but it's not it's not arrogant at all. It's awesome because do we see ourselves as as the beloved disciple? We should we should see how much he loves us. That's exactly right. Awesome. Amen. Um, I have an answer to a question. And then I have a question for an answer. Okay. Um, someone asked me, isn't he awesome? And I said, no. God is awesome. And so oftentimes I hear people saying, oh, that's, he's an awesome man. Or, he's an, or she's an awesome woman or whatever. And we have to be careful with that because, you know, if, if you're bringing the word of God, a message from God... You know, it's it, it it could be considered an awesome message or a great message from an awesome God. Right. But and it's, it's this little fine line issue. We we can so easily cross over into that to where we're actually giving adoration to a man. Absolutely. Amen. And we need to give glory to God. Amen. Absolutely. And, and 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 thank God for men who seek Him and serve Him and and and, and dole out these meals of, of on the Word of God. Amen? Absolutely. But we have to be careful that we don't worship man. I agree. Totally. You know? So, and uh, I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm going to stop right there. Um, but the question is, is this, is that this, you know, of course, this message of grace is really coming to the fore throughout the world through messages like you and, of course, our pastor and Joseph Prince. There's another one over and someone say, oh, he's awesome. No, he's not awesome. God is awesome. That's right. He's Joseph Prince. He's just like the rest of us. Amen? That's right. Now, he may have an awesome message from God. Yeah, just like A great this. message from the awesome God. But That's let's, right. Let's, you know, let's tweak this thing and let's not get it, you know, get it out of tune because yeah. we can easily get over yeah. to worshiping man. Just like Peter. Peter said, hey, you think I'm awesome? I'm like, you know. Exactly. Peter I'm glad you gave that example. It's not my holiness. It's, it's, 
He even sealed the because angels, of the name even of Jesus. angels, you know, in right. Revelation, John fell at the angels' feet. And said, "No, get up! I'm, I'm just a servant like you are." That's right. You know, <laughs> you know. So, okay. So anyway, my question is this: um, I don't believe in purgatory. You know, I was born and raised Catholic. I never believed it when when they taught it to me, and <laughs> I didn't. I certainly don't believe it now. But anyway, um, but I do. I do believe that. There's a there's a purifying work that God is doing, you know, in in His people. Uh, you know, uh, it's prophesied in Malachi, and you know that He will come as a refiner's fire. And I'm I'm a I'm a goldsmith. I'm a jeweler. I you know gold and silversmith. And you know when you melt metal, you have the dross, the impurities that are in or on the metal. They come to the surface, and um, but it comes through fire. You know, that, that metal has to be melted, till, uh, heated till it's molten. And um, I'm using this illustration because it's in the Word, and also because of the, just the past couple of years in my life, uh, I've noticed the Lord, you know, really making, <coughs> making it clearly known of sin in my life. Okay? Now, I know this teaching that if you're a believer and you're the righteous of God, you cannot sin. Well, uh, then maybe I'm not all that. <laughs> uh, or, but anyway, what I'm trying to say is this. In 1 Corinthians 11, on Paul's treatise on communion, there's two verses there. It says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of God that we be not condemned with the world. And then and that we get into the to concept of chastening. Does God correct us if we err or, or sin or transgress or offend? Okay, let's, let's stop. You've, okay. you've listed like 15 different issues. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, that verse in the Corinthian about the Lord's Supper, when he says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, he's talking about the unbelievers judging themselves Judge yourself. Are you in Christ or you're not in Christ? If you judge yourself, you will not be condemned with the world. See? That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about believers judging themselves. But the letter was written to believers. But the letter in the letter to the believers says there are many among you that are heretics. That's in the letter. Well, yeah, you got to say that. Yeah. It says in the letter to the believers, it says there are many heretics among you. And there are unbelievers among you. And that's why they're drinking unworthily. They're drinking, they're drinking judgment to themselves. But if we would judge ourselves, if you would judge yourself, judge yourself or examine yourself, Paul says, if Christ is not in you, you are still unregenerated. So that's all that means. It's not talking about believers judging themselves at the Lord's Supper so they're not condemned with the world. So that doesn't even make sense. You mean, you mean if, if we, we, the believers are going to be condemned with the world? No. The unbelievers are going to be condemned with the world if they don't judge themselves and believe on Christ. One more question on that. Okay, if I, if I come and receive communion and I have all toward a brother in Christ and I you know and I'm all arrogant or proud or angry about it and I don't you know and I just sort of like just brush that off and you know and kind of you know I mean God would convict me of that he would show me whether I have art in my heart and if I just go up and just casually take communion and I have I have no intention or purpose in my heart to go and make things right am I am I eating of the, 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 the meal unworthily. No, you're not. First of all, that has nothing to do with that, what that verse is talking about. You're, you're bringing a scripture from the Gospels into the Lord's Supper 
the phrase unworthily, you're, you're combining two verses there that are totally unrelated, number one. So you're, you're combining two scriptures that are unrelated completely. What you're all, all you're doing, it's Rick, right? Yeah. What you're doing, Rick, is you're, you're just in the flesh. You're being, if you have unforgiveness towards somebody, you're being fleshly. Mm-hmm. And it's not in your heart. You've got to see that. See, you, your heart is pure. Your heart is a new creation. But, it's, but you still have sin in the flesh. And when we have unforgiveness towards somebody, that's, just a, that's the work of the flesh. Jealousy, envy, strife, all those are works of the flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the Scripture says, right? Well, if, just, by, just by walking in the Spirit, you mean? I, I will not be envious, jealous, all these works of the flesh? Yes. Why? Because you're not, that's not really you. You see that? Walk in the Spirit and be who you are, and you will have forgiveness toward your brother. Now, what if you go to the Lord's Supper with bread and wine, and you, you're walking, flesh, you're fleshly, you're being fleshly by not forgiving? Absolutely you can eat the bread and drink the wine. It is not unworthy at all. Because, again, you're combining two scriptures that have no relevance whatsoever. You're, you're, t- you're taking the phrase unworthy manner and talking about a fleshly act from the Gospels that, Paul, that Jesus was talking about and putting all that together. I'm telling you, it's a religious thinking that is killing you. Because you've got to see that you, your heart is pure, that it is pure. And when we do sin, sinful things, I didn't say we don't sin either. I, I, I talk about how we sin sometimes. We stumble when we walk after the flesh. We still sin, but it's not the real you that's doing the sinning. That's, the, that's Scripture. That's Bible. That's truth. And so we, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the real me is now living its life through me. And, the real, and when I walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, the real me manifesting. Now, that's the truth. So you can have a brother that comes and takes the Lord's Supper week after week after week after week with unforgiveness in his heart. And God, every time, is going to re- be reminding him of his love, reminding him that his sins are not being held against him, reminding him and reminding him. You know what's going to do that, brother? It's going to soften him until he goes, wow, God is so good. He's going to start walking in the Spirit. He's going to forgive that brother. Mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. He'll change. He'll change. But he's not going to change because God's going to, you know, slap him and say, you, you can't take the bread and the wine because you, you, you don't have your act together. I mean, there's a thousand things we're doing in the flesh that we don't even realize. God's not into pointing out sin either, by the way. Paul says, I'd rather you be naive as to what is evil and wise as to what is good. Mm-hmm. See, God's, God's not, there's not a single scripture in the entire New Testament that says the Holy Spirit, Spirit convicts us of sin. Not a single one. Not a single verse that says the Spirit convicts us of sin. Yet we throw that out like, oh, that's understood. Oh, that's, that's in there somewhere. No, not a single verse. Not a single verse. The Holy Spirit is not sent to convict of sin. There is one verse that says this. The Spirit is sent to convict the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. That's in there, but that's the world. The believer is convic- convicted or convinced of righteousness, Jesus said, because we're righteous, not sin. And that the prince, the prince of this world has been judged. See? The, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming and, and he said the Spirit will come. The Spirit of truth will come. And he will show you what? Your sin? No. He will show you all the things that belong to me, Jesus said. And now to you because you're in me. See, the Holy Spirit's not into this sin thing. The, it, through the, the law, through the law is the knowledge of sin. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. We're not under law but under grace. The, the Spirit is all about revealing Christ. The Spirit turns our attention to Christ. Set your mind on things above. Behold fully the glory of God in the face of Christ. And let the Spirit bring forth your real being as we're transformed from image to His image, from glory to glory. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God exalts the Christ. 
and looks at him. We have, we've already been there, done that with the law and sin. We need to get free of that and, and get this reality moving where we are allowing the spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, the scripture says. See, it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets me free. The mindset on the flesh, the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, Paul said. See, it's a whole new way of thinking and a new way of living. Cool. Oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking about your, your um, knowledge of the Word of God. You come to know the Lord through Word of God. And then you, I, you, everybody notice every time when he speaks, he confirmation with his Word. Right. That is only through revelation of the Holy Spirit revealing that right. word of God to you. Yes. Right. But how we can be able to know God's will, like a, you know revel- will of God, just with, through word, if we do not consume it. Yes. That is so important yes. to me. That's why... Word of God from the beginning to end is sweet letter from the Lord to me. Yes. So it will, because of that I can discern, I can do all kinds of things with the Word of God. Yes. You know, sometimes I have to stand fast in the fire, but when God spoke to you in the revelation, what his heart is, then it doesn't matter. That brings a confidence. Yes. That confidence that you stand no matter what everybody say because my God, my Father is behind me. Yes. With me. Yes, See, that's why you, we can have that confidence. Yes. Yes. Because knowledge of the Word of God. Yes. So anything it has that uh that scripture is all has a purpose, revealing himself, revealing Christ, teaching us how to live, all those things. So if I heard anything about word of God, it's not because of that is I worship, but because that is a love letter to me. Yes, 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 yes. You know, so that is very important. Yes, I'm so glad you said me. that. Yes. And brought that up because I kind of take it for granted. I because mean, no, just, just you know listen. I love the scripture. Did I, you notice that he utters scripture constantly? Right. You know, that's why it is just awesome to me because we store it. We store it. Times we do not understand, yes. but we store yes. within us. Then Holy Spirit, sooner or later, bring it out. Yes, yes, yes. You know, when we need it. Yes. Just it, like that's why yes. you, you, your, your, your um, preaching or, or witnessing is nonstop. You know, just continue <laughs> on. Because why? Because you got so much words within you. Holy Spirit just bring it out. Yes. Yes. So that's why it is so powerful. Yes. Because the Holy Spirit really can work through His Word. Yes. 
I'm yeah. so glad you said that because that's so important. Because you know, I, I never, I never have memorized scripture. I don't yeah, memorize I scripture. Know. <laughs> it, you, do, you, you can't memorize it. You can't. It, it, it's not here. What I do is when I read the scripture, I read very slowly. Mm-hmm. I read the scripture very slowly, and I read with my spirit. I read with my heart, yes. and I just and I actually see sometimes like if it's the gospels and there's a scene that they're they're writing about. I actually let the spirit. Um, Imagination is a God, God-given gift, and the Spirit will, mm-hmm. in my imagination, take me there, and I, I, I see Jesus sitting on the well, or I see the disciples talking to them. Mm-hmm. I see him on the left side. I see them coming from the hills. I see this, the townspeople coming up. He says, look, the, the, the harvest is white until harvest, and I, mm-hmm. the Spirit takes me there, and I see it. So then what happens when I'm speaking it's not up here. It's yeah, here. It and, it's, and, and, and a mm. thought will come to me from the Spirit. And all of that will just roll out. Yes. And it's not memorized. It's like, mm-hmm. so it's so important. And another thing I've learned is that Jesus said he opened their understanding in the last chapter of Luke. He lo- opened their understanding and, and that they might understand the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And what he did was they were good Jews. They knew the Scriptures. But they didn't know the secret, which is Jesus is on every page mm-hmm. of the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. See? See, in this, in this Bible, there are two trees in this Bible. Mm-hmm. And you can either read, you can read this Bible and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. which is death, which is the law. Or you can read this book and read the, of the tree of life, mm-hmm. which is the revelation of Christ. Mm-hmm. You can't do both. You can't do both. Mm-hmm. That's right. A little law will leaven the entire lump. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said this. He said to the Pharisees, you think, in this, you think in these scriptures you have life. You think in these scriptures you have life. But they speak of me. And you won't come to me, but you might have life. You see? See, even the scriptures themselves are not life. They're only life in that they reveal him. Mm-hmm. And that's the secret of scripture. That's why I love scripture. I love scripture. Yes. I mean, that's why this thing's all beat up. <laughs> yeah. I love scripture. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's so important. Mm-hmm. But you have to take your time and read slowly. Let the spirit you sink in. Yeah, I love what Jesus said to the disciples one time. He said, let these things sink down between your ears which is kind of an interesting thing. He said, let these things sink down between your ears. And, and I tell you another lost art in the body of Christ is meditating, pondering. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of pondering. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just ponder. I don't know if you guys do this, but I'll be driving and I'll have this thought mm-hmm. pondered. I, there's a verse of scripture I'm pondering and I'm like, I have one ear toward heaven yes. and one eye on the road. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I'm mulling it around inside of me. And then all of a sudden there'll be a spark. Mm-hmm. It's revelation. It'll be like mm-hmm. the spirit will go. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Yes. And I'll go, like, oh my God. And then yeah. <laughs> this is what that means. And then, oh my God. And then I just feed on that. During the day, I'll just feed on that. And then, then it's in there. Yes. And then I can, and then at, at the time, the spirit will draw it and bring it up, at, you know, if, if it needed to be said at that moment. I'll tell you something else, saints. What the enemy has done with the scripture. He has misinterpreted. See, like Rick, the, the scripture you were, t- you were talking about, if you have a scripture that's misinterpreted, what the enemy does, he hides the real meaning that's there for you mm. by, the, right. by the wrong interpretation. Mm. So now you have all this scripture that has the wrong meaning, and it's not helping you because it's actually working against what the Spirit is trying to say. Now, when you, get, when you unravel that wrong thinking about a scripture and see what it's really saying, it's, it's life then you replace the wrong definition, a wrong interpretation with the right one, then what that scripture meant to do and accomplish is now able to do it, and it gives you life. So there's so many scriptures. 1 John 1.9 is 
is a key verse that has been so misread, misunderstood, that the true meaning has been hidden behind, uh, behind the, the bad application. Yes? I think that um, earlier you talked about the, uh, how you meditate just quiet with him. You know, I think that that is a very important of even beginning of uh, after accepting a Lord. Yes. Because then my sheep hear my voice and follow me. That quietness, that's when you hear things of God. Yes. And so I think when you have that spirit, that when you wake up and say, Lord, been waiting on me all this time. You know, that is just awesome thought. And then realizing how awesome our God is, so big, so mighty, but he's love me, you know, just he's in me. That makes such a confidence of a beginning of day. I know my husband that uh, he said, she's not like that every day, but, <laughs> but, but I know I can always doing all these worldly flesh things, but I can just go back and he, here he is, yes, right there. Yes. You know, so but when you had that relationship, like you said, with him like that, then even your flesh is weak and keep on falling, you can always go back and start it over again. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so that's what's a beautiful thing about God is through, through his presence, through his word, he just, just embraces us constantly. Constantly. Yeah. And we just do not recognize that. Or we are so busy with our secular things in our life, we miss that opportunity yeah. constantly. Distractions. Yes, yes. So I think though even we miss it, we can always, here I am, Lord. Yes. And he's here. And that's the beauty of so it. So that's what's yes. awesome thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for saying those. That's, <laughs> let's, let's end with that, that word yeah. right there because that is so, that's so awesome about the, the prayer, the word, the pondering. Really, really awesome. Oh, one more? Joe? 1,683. <laughs> I have 1,683 questions for every, uh. point, every point you made today. Uh, we, we, we kind of mentioned uh, uh, about walking in the Spirit and whatnot. Uh, are we walking in the Spirit and in the flesh at the same time? No, uh, uh, that, let, let me, that's a good question. You, you, you emphasized before, you, you know, we need to be in the spirit, totally in the spirit, and that, that's it. That's right. Let me, let me explain what, I, what the scripture teaches about, the way Paul taught about that. If we are in the spirit, because we're in Christ, we are never in the flesh. If you are in the spirit, you're not in the flesh. Now, what that means is you're no longer... You're no longer tied to this body of this creation. There's been a spiritual circumcision. You're no longer, Jesus says, if you believe on me, you will not die in your sins. You're not dying in the flesh. You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit, okay? The believer who is always in the spirit because Christ is in you, you're never in the flesh. The phrase in the flesh, you're never in the flesh if you're in the spirit, okay? 
However, a believer can walk after the flesh or walk after the spirit. You can walk after the flesh and still be in the spirit, if that makes sense. It has to be that way. That's what Paul taught. Because you're still in Christ. You're still in Christ. Christ's still in you when we sin as believers and walk after the flesh. So, yes, you cannot walk after the flesh and walk after the spirit at the same time. Because that's talking about a different thing than being in the spirit or in the flesh. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and, what, and what we think of conviction... Yeah, I think just understanding of a heart, you know, convicted, that means almost like a feel very harsh. Yeah, the, but it's not. It's not. Actually, See, even the word convicted is a bad word because the word convicted, uh-huh. when, when we say in the church world, you know, God convicted me of this, the word, you know, as a lawyer, yeah. convicted yeah. is... <laughs> it's, a guilt, it's a sentence of guilty. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, condemna- a sentence of condemnation. No, no, it's, it's not the, it's not the sentence. Well, that's what I mean, yeah. It's, but what I'm saying is it's a feeling of condemnation because you're saying you're guilty. So, so really, it, and that's not even a word that's, that's scriptural to, to, be, to, to be used by. When, when do we do, um, like you say, one, one minute to walking in the flesh and sometimes one minute to walking in spirit, but we still in spirit is still alive. Absolutely. When we walking in the uh, flesh, then we give it this Holy Spirit say, check, check, check. Yeah, what's really really going on? Doing that, listening and obedient to that check, check things and turn around, hurry up, and we have to change it this way. But my flesh keep on going this way. Yeah. You see? That's That's what I think he was trying to say earlier. I agree. And what what that, see, once you see (laughs) what the truth really is, we will... We will describe and explain that feeling differently than how we have been describing it in the church. In other words, we will stop saying God convicted me of something because that's just not, that's unscriptural. God doesn't convict, he doesn't, he doesn't say we're guilty as a believer. So, but what we will say, this is what happens, see, once you realize that it's all about life, his life flowing. Exactly, the love, the love of God in you is shed abroad in your heart, so you want to, God change our, change our, our wanter, so we want to do we want to be who we are. Mm-hmm. You have a natural bent in the spirit as a believer. You have a natural bent to ascend. You have inside of you ascended life. Ascended life is in you. It naturally ascends. It naturally wants to go to him. It naturally, in the flesh, it, before we were born again, we naturally wanted to do self-centered stuff. We naturally had a fallen nature and we were naturally selfish, okay? Okay. Now, in the, as a new creation, we are naturally full of his love, and we ascend. We have a, a new life, okay? Now, what happens with the believer when you walk after the flesh? It's like this. It's like you're driving down the highway in third gear at 50 miles an hour, and you shift down to second gear. What happens? You're going smooth third gear, and you switch to second gear. It's like, oh, you feel it. You feel, you feel like, all right? That's what happens when a believer is moving in life, moving in life, okay? And the love of God is flowing, and then the, the tempter comes, and the flesh, the power of sin is still in the flesh. Remember, the law is the strength of sin. So if we start thinking too legalistically, we, we give strength to the sin. The law is not a faith. So in a weak moment, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus said. Then we give in to that temptation, and we sin, walk after the flesh. We feel an arresting of life. 
we feel an arresting of life. We feel a, a, a suspension of life. Some people describe it as a check, 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 spirit, check, check, check. Some people are saying, God's convicting me. It's really just the arresting of life. And the spirit is so gentle. Just like you said, he's so gentle. It's like, that's why Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. What that word is, is sad. Don't, don't, uh, don't make him sad um, because He's, don't, let him, don't let him be sad because when you walk after the flesh, he's sad. Why is he sad? Because he's a bridegroom that wants to take care of his bride. He, Ephesians says he cherishes and nourishes his bride. He, anytime we walk after the flesh, it's us saying, I, I, I'm not looking to you to take care of me. And he wants to take care of you. And so he's saddened by that. He goes, I could, I could have taken care of that for you. I, could have, I would have helped you with that. I would have helped you with that. That's what it, It's very gentle. And it's an arresting of life. And it makes you want to run to him. That's the right way of thinking. It's awesome. It's awesome. David said, thy gentleness has made me great. His gentleness has made us, will make us great. I do too. Awesome. What aspect of our being is making that choice to walk either in the flesh or the spirit? Yeah, it's the real you on the inside, the soul. The real, you, the real you is making that choice. I want to answer that too. That's a good question. Okay. This may be um, too long, but I just wanted you to speak to suffering in the Christian's life. Is that too long? Well, I'd say a few words. No, no. I, I would appreciate it, but I did want to just share this one scripture with him I thought might help, First Corinthians 6. It said, um, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, he lists all those, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Yes. So it's like that was your identity, but that's not who you are anymore. So when you come to the table right that's what you're saying yes thank you you. you, that's awesome um just real brief on yeah that's a good word on suffering um paul talked about how um well jesus talked about how in the world we shall have tribulation we shall have suffering in the world um he suffered himself you know hebrews says consider him who suffered such hostility from sinners lest you grow weary and in your own life you know that this is this is something that he goes i tell you ahead of time so you're not offended or hurt uh, I tell you ahead of time that they're, gonna, they're going to kill you even thinking they're serving God. But they, know, they do it because they know not me nor my father. So he, 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 he warned his disciples that suffering is, is going to come, especially to those, all those apostles were martyred except for John. And um, he said, this will, this, this will happen sometimes, and, um, but I don't want you to be discouraged or think this is a strange thing. Peter says, think it that's some strange thing, this fiery trial that you're experiencing in the world of suffering. Um, uh, it's, it's a sign that the blessing of Christ rests upon you, he said. Um, it, it, so he encouraged the saints in Peter about how this is a mark that God is, is actually, that you, that you actually belong to God. Um, and so that's, that is part of living in a fallen world. We're going to have people that don't receive us because we're not of the world anymore and they don't know us as they didn't know him. They don't know us any, because we're now we're of him. Um, to get through suffering is just a matter of... Um, understanding that we have a high priest who has suffered even as we're suffering yet without sin so we can go to this awesome high priest after the order of Melchizedek who is a faithful and merciful high priest who can 
who knows our weaknesses. That, that scripture in Hebrews where it says, for the, for the son uh, learned obedience by the things which he suffered, that does not mean, as, as it has been wrongly taught, that he learned to obey through suffering. No, he didn't learn to obey through suffering because he, he obeyed always, always, even before he was in heaven he obeyed. He, he was a perfect son. What it means is the word obedience there is like a, he learned about obedience, like a, like a, a, like a subject in school. Like, say, you could say this, he learned math by the things which he suffered. Uh, or or he, that's how you read it in the Greek. He learned, he learned about obedience by the things which he suffered. What is that saying? It's saying that God had never, never, God had never experienced suffering in a fallen world um, and how men, how men would suffer uh, by following God in a fallen world. He never experienced that. So he had to learn that though he were a son, God let him learn what it felt like to suffer by, in his obedience to the Father. See? You see that? Yeah. So now, we, now, he, now that's the only thing he lacked. The only thing he lacked was being a man experiencing what it was like to obey God in a fallen world. Now he knows. Now he can help us. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's what that means. So now we can go to him and he can say, I know. I know, I, I, that was the first time I ever felt it too. In heaven, nobody resisted me. And when the angels got out of line, Michael just kicked their butt. You know, and, and knocked them out of heaven. So, but this is the first time that I felt what you feel. Suffering, when you follow my Father's will in a fallen world, there will be suffering in this world that lies in the evil one. And now I know, and now I can help you. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, like, that's the big question. Like, you know, if God is sovereign and, and, and he is, why does he allow suffering in the world? Yeah, it's, it's more of a question of God in his wisdom has allowed evil to come so that he could reveal his goodness in the midst of it. God takes evil and uses it for good. It's one of his ways of revealing who he is. Um, we would not understand grace if we didn't need grace. See, that's why the angels don't understand grace. They don't understand grace because they, he didn't seek to save the angels. He, sa- he said he sought to save the seed of Abraham. So the angels were not saved. When they, when they rebelled, they were judged. They had no grace. There was no grace for the angels. When they rebelled, they, they were judged. So they don't understand grace. That's why the angels long to look into what we have because they don't understand grace. All they know is, you get out of line, you, you're out of here. You know? They, they don't understand it. But, but that's... that's, that's a short answer, but that's part of the wisdom of what God, how God works and reveals himself. And, but this real, real, real quick, this thing about dying daily. Yeah, I was thinking about the uh, earlier, we talking about flesh. Yeah, let me answer that because that's more, a... More flesh, we do away with it. I'm talking about dying on the meaning of a dying for me is do away with the, my old self. Yeah, let, let me answer that because that's, that's a real misunderstanding in the church right now. Um, and... and if, if you guys don't mind, can this be the last? Sorry. Uh, no, no, this is good. I love doing this. But we we'll keep L- you here all day. But we've got to go see LSU win. Okay, no. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> we might want to <laughs> <laughs> no. Come on now. Got to believe, got to believe. That's why we need to get down there. We've got to get at least two believers there. 
Um, okay, dying daily, already dead. What's the story? Okay, the scripture says that the old man has died. Past tense. Paul never taught that the old man was to die daily. Wait, can I finish? Can I finish? What's that? You're talking about what you're saying, what you're saying. Yeah. To me, is an old man of my spirit. No, no, no. Let me, let, let me. Oh, sorry. It, it takes a while for me. I've got to lay the foundation. Okay. Old man. The old man that Paul talked about. You know, he talked about our old man died and our new man. He says, put on the deeds of the new man that is created new in Christ Jesus, you know, that the old man has died. Know you not that you have died, past tense, and now you're new in him. Put on the deeds of the new man, okay? The old man is another way of saying, when I was lost in the flesh, um, uh, dead in, in my spirit, um, alienated from the life of God, darkened in my understanding, a, a, a lost person, okay? So the old man is a lost person. The old man dying is God judging that old man on the cross. I was crucified with Christ, okay? Crucified with Christ, but now I'm raised with Christ, the resurrection, forms a new man. Okay, that's when God circumcised the inward man of soul and spirit from the body, create, raised me from the dead. I was dead in my transgressions and sins, at old man, raised me from the dead and called into being that which is brand new, a new creation, but left me in the body. I have this treasure in, in a weak earthen vessel, okay? Now the new man is alive. Okay, now the, the old man is dead. He does not die daily. He died once. In the same way that the new man... I'm going to get, I'm get to it. I'm going to get to that. I'll get to it. The old man died once, and he doesn't die daily. The old man, okay? The new man is alive and new and never dies again. Eternal life, okay? New creation. Now, when Paul talked about dying daily, in the context that he was talking about, he was talking about the beast at Ephesus, the Jews that were, had, had plots on his life. He goes, I was, I was persecuted. Uh, they, they tried to keep, take my life. They had, in the, in the context there, he goes, I die daily. See, he said, I die daily from this outward threat of persecution. He goes, he goes, we are like sheep led to the slaughter all the day long. That's another phrase he uses. We're like sheep led to the slaughter all the day long. See, when he says, I die daily, or when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he's not talking about the old man. He's talking about the new man that's being rejected by this world. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. I have the so Paul says, so death works in me and life in you. Because as they're persecuting me, life gets out of me. In my dependency on Christ, life comes out of me and blesses you. So death works in me from this world that hates me, but life works in you because I'm preaching Christ as they're, as they're putting me in prison. You see that? So the daily dying has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with um, the old man. The daily dying is a world that's rejecting the new man. That's why Jesus, Jesus took up a cross. He had no sin in his life. He had no flesh that he, that he had to put to death. He had a cross because this world rejected him. So he looks to us and he says, you too must take up your cross and not give it back. In other words, if the world rejects you, don't reject them back. And to be my disciple, you too will be rejected. You too will be given a cross of rejection. But that's, see, it's the new man that dies daily in the sense that the new man in the sense that the new man experiences from this world the sentence of death or rejection you get it so dying daily has nothing to do with the flesh or sin or because the old man died once does that make sense awesome
Amen. Thank you, James. Woo. I know it's hard to let him go. It's like eating a, a big, uh, one of those great big giant suckers, you know, you want to lick on it all day, you know. <laughs> Just wanted to, and it's, uh, James was uh, so gracious to come visit us uh, today, and, uh, but he uh, will make arrangements for him to come back again. Uh, it, it takes uh, the sovereign move of the sun off of its trajectory in the solar system, but we push on him hard enough, we can get him back, okay. So, and by the way, uh, for those of you who may be interested, uh, his church that he's a part of down in Orlando, Florida, Grace Church, is having a Grace Conference. In, it's in February, isn't it, James? Yeah, February, uh, I think, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Yeah, tw- yeah so you might, uh, if you've got some uh, time, that's a good place to go. Uh, while you're there, you can visit the Holy Land experience. So if, yeah, that's pretty If cool you don't place. get enough Grace at Grace Church, I don't know. Uh, James, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, so thank you You've guys. been a blessing to us. Thank you so much. Take, take what you've learned today. Ponder it. Pray about it. Think about it. Uh, use uh, this as a, uh, a new way of thinking about the Scriptures, and you'll learn some new things. You'll go back and you'll look at it and you say, wow, I didn't know that was there. Yeah, Just look at it through the prism the word. of this truth that you've heard today, and it'll really, really help you. Um, Tomorrow Sunday, uh, go to church someplace. If you don't have a place to go, you can come here. All right? We'll be glad to have you. Awesome. Next Wednesday, the day after the election, I know some of you are worried about the election. Don't worry. God's in control. All right? Uh, if you want to have a good time, next Wednesday night, right here at 7 p.m., we're going to have a glorious time of worship and praise. We don't care who wins. I care, but we don't care. All right? So we're going to get together and worship the Lord and have a wonderful time of worship and praise. No king but King Jesus. Amen. All right. Are you supposed to say that? We can, but I think he's running out the door, so uh, we'll we'll, we'll catch him. Let's all stand, and we're going to pray. Uh, Hallelujah. This has been good. Thank you all for coming. uh, You've been uh, just a joy to have you here. Father, we thank you for this time we've had. And... uh, we pray your blessings upon James uh, uh, and upon uh, his uh, buddy George. Lord, as, uh, George has been taking care of him and driving him around. I pray your blessings on both of them. Let them get to uh, Tiger Stadium uh, at the right time. Uh, I know they're going to do some tailgating and then uh, go to the game. So I'll, just let it be a time of refreshing for both of them and enjoy the moment. Uh, give uh, James the rest uh, that he needs. Uh, in the midst of all of the storm that will be taking place at Tiger Stadium. But I know it will be good for his spirit. Take care of him. Uh, take him safely home to uh, his bride and his children. Uh, I know they miss him. And I know his church will miss him tomorrow. Uh, but take care of him. Give him a safe journey. Uh, fill him with more divine revelation that he might share it with us, the body of yes, Christ. Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.